Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Our call to worship this morning comes from Calvin and Hobbes. This transmogrifier will turn you into anything at all. All you do is set the indicator arrow and the machine automatically restructures your chemical configuration. You can be an eel, a baboon, a giant bug, or a dinosaur. What if you want to be something else, you might ask? Well, there's some room on the side. Just write in whatever you like. Come, let us worship together. Our reading this morning is from Starhawk. We are all longing to go home, to some place we have never been, a place half remembered and half envisioned we can only catch glimpses of from time to time. Community. Somewhere, there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere, a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing. A circle of friends. Someplace where we can be free. When I was young, maybe four or five, or whatever age it is that everyone started playing house or school, my sister loved to play dance teacher, lining her stuffed animals up in her room. But for me, I was playing church. It's a true story. I dragged the ironing board out of the cupboard, my mom offering to lend a hand and me refusing help determined but struggling to do it my way, leaving a small mess behind me, an eerie foreshadowing of my future career in professional ministry. And I would set up my new altar in the living room. I'd don my bathrobe as my vestments, recruit my sister to play her piano lessons as our hymns. She wasn't as good as you, Franco. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd sit my family down on the couch. I'd flop my children's Bible open and read whatever story came up, because that's obviously how the readings were chosen for the Sunday. And then I would start to preach to my family. This went on for years. Particularly rainy days, we'd make bulletins, have communion with graham crackers and a shared juice box. That little girl never had to ask, why church? because it had already changed her and become a part of her. Ten years later, the Lutheran church I attended with my family didn't have much of a youth group, and I was interested in, but also really overwhelmed by, the youth groups at my friend's evangelical churches. So what's a girl going to do? She makes her own. Every Saturday night, all of junior and senior year of high school, I had a Bible study in my basement. You know, like the cool kids do. (laughs) (laughs) 
I would write the curriculum and the games. My boyfriend would play the worship songs on his guitar. Every week, we had anywhere from 15 to 30 kids in my basement. Other people's parents would call our house and be like, so my son says that he's going to a Bible study at your house on Saturday. <laughs> my parents were like, no, really. We buy them lots of cookies and red vines from Costco, and they're down there all night. That young woman never had to ask why church, because it was something she knew she wanted, needed, and could make happen for herself. Ten years after that, I was leaving seminary, heading for months at a monastery, heart heavy with the question of why church? Disillusioned and overwhelmed upon arrival, I didn't leave with any answers, but again with experiences. Transformational moments that reframed the question beyond what I had asked. I was reminded and I was remembered into the life that had been so effortlessly mine, where church was something that not only changed me, but was something that I longed to create and contribute to. And now, I have a long, long list of reasons of why not church. Like many of you, or most of you maybe, I'm sure I have been hurt and frustrated. I've been really disappointed by and disinterested in the people and places that are so quick to call themselves the church. And so I've gotten whatever distance I could. But I haven't completely lost sight of what change is still possible. Within myself and within communities who are interested in being changed together. Because like it or not, I'm still the girl in the bathrobe making altars wherever I can. I'm still the girl starting conversations and gathering people around to wonder and explore. I'm still the girl taking time in silence to connect and be moved. And I've come to think of it this way. Much like an artist is pursued by their gift and has no choice but to give their lives over to their work. Whatever church may be, or more importantly, could be, whatever that is seems to be pursuing me. And now I'm looking at this question of why church entirely differently. When I first heard the question, I just thought it was, why should I go to church? Why would anyone go to church? But now I'm wondering, why does the church keep hounding me? Why can't I kick this habit? Since I seem to have no choice but to give myself over to these communities of practice and moments of wonder and spaces of deep listening, the question has become, what are my responsibilities? How can I contribute? What is created in community and how am I different because of it? What is the church asking me to give and to become?
So the thing about a box is that in the right hands, it can be anything. Some of you may have friends, kids, relatives, maybe even yourself who've participated in cardboard camp. You know, that place where you go to build your cardboard construction skills and transform a piece of cardboard into something entirely different. All it takes is some cardboard, some glue or tape, some paint, and a whole lot of imagination to see in that blank canvas something that is not yet there, but could be. That possibility is a lot of what's at play in the cartoon series, Calvin and Hobbes, when cardboard boxes come into the picture. How many of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Excellent. <coughs> Excuse me. So through much of middle school and uh, the first part of high school and ever since then too, I think it's fair to say that Calvin and Hobbes was one of my sacred texts. I've always been an avid reader. Um, you know, through books I developed this love for imagination, for inhabiting worlds entirely different from my own. But when I encountered Calvin and Hobbes, something else entirely just clicked for me. So just by way of a little background, in case you're not familiar with the series, Calvin is a little boy. He's uh, roughly elementary school age. And um, for Bill Watterson, the, the author of the series, Calvin is a reflection of uh, the struggles of adulthood as well as of our ongoing efforts to work with our inner child. But he's also a reflection of the kinds of things that Watterson uh, was thinking about. So what you get in this series is this really interesting juxtaposition of these like antics of this elementary school kid who's always getting into trouble, side by side with deep reflections on human nature and our place in the world. Looking back, I think it was exactly what my growing adolescent brain needed and quite frankly what I still need today. There was something really compelling to me about that mix, something compelling about being able to play and still engage with serious and meaningful topics. You know, I remember my dad used to say that there was no situation so serious that you couldn't find some humor in it and I think that Calvin embodied that sensibility and Hobbes. How I loved and still love Hobbes. I loved how in the cartoon Hobbes was drawn as Calvin's stuffed tiger, but also as a real, live, standing, upright, walking around in the world tiger. I loved how Hobbes would greet Calvin as he arrived home from school by launching himself at high velocity at the door as Calvin opened it, so that just as Calvin walked in, he'd be greeted by fast-moving tiger right in his face and be literally bowled over by love and affection and joy. There was something really sweet and playful and pouncy about it, and to be honest, I was kind of jealous of Calvin. I wanted someone to greet me like that. And then I had kids, and I got to experience that sort of high-velocity greeting as I entered the door. And I have to say that it is exactly as cool as I imagined it would be. So you can see that Hobbes is the character that I identified most with. He's Calvin's tiger, he's a stuffed tiger, but he's also real. And it's easy to see Hobbes as Calvin's imaginary friend, or perhaps real in the way that the velveteen rabbit was real. I really should not have done air quotes on that one, I apologize. 
redo, or perhaps real in the way that the Velveteen Rabbit was real, loved into realness. But that's never how I read the comic. Here's what Bill Watterson, the author, had to say about it. He says that there are two versions of Hobbes is sometimes misunderstood. I don't think of Hobbes as a doll that miraculously comes to life whenever Calvin's around. Neither do I think of Hobbes as the product of Calvin's imagination. Calvin sees Hobbes one way, and everyone else sees Hobbes another way. I show two versions of reality, and each makes complete sense to the participant who sees it. I think that's how life works. None of us sees the world exactly the same way, and I just draw that literally in the strip. Hobbes is more about the subjective nature of reality than about dolls coming to life. I show two versions of reality, and each makes complete sense to the participant who sees it. I think that's how life works. You know, in many ways, the adventures that Calvin and Hobbes had were a bit of a lifeline for me during a challenging time. Growing up, the first generation in my family born in the U.S., things were confusing. Seeing a direct representation of multiple realities, it helped. Through their stories, I could escape a bit, inhabit different worlds, get some perspective on my life. And in the world of Calvin and Hobbes, many of their stories started with a cardboard box. Now, I need to note that today is Housing Sunday. It's a day when our housing justice teams are kicking off this year's work, and when you travel down into the social hall after the service, you'll have an opportunity to get connected to a wide variety of efforts that our congregation is involved in. And I really hope that you'll spend some time learning about all that is happening and that you'll find a way to be connected to one or more efforts. As folks who work on housing, who work on ending homelessness know, cardboard boxes are for some the only shelter that they have from the elements. So cardboard boxes can be many things. Sometimes they're containers for stuff. Sometimes they hold lives that need but don't currently have shelter. And for Calvin, they're a container. They're a container for his imagination. And over the course of the series, we see cardboard boxes become a bunch of different things. Calvin turns a cardboard box into a duplicator, makes an exact copy of himself. That didn't work out very well, so he makes a modified duplicator with an ethicator function, bringing some ethics into the mix. That, too, was problematic. Later, we see a cardboard box transformed into a time machine, a cerebral ehansotron to make Calvin smarter, then a sales stand for all manner of odd items, and, of course, the transmogrifier that inspired today's service. The transmogrifier is when we see Watterson take a box and what it represents to Calvin, which really is limitless possibility, and make that limitless possibility a function not of Calvin's imagination, but of the box itself. The transmogrifier is a device that can turn anything into anything. And so the box becomes a container for the possibility and a means by which it is realized. That's the brilliance here. 
We know that the imagination can turn anything into anything. We've seen kids do this when they play. We ourselves have likely made clouds into shapes, stars into constellations. We know that imagination can turn anything into anything. But by putting that into the physical form of a transmogrifier, Watterson mobilizes vision and dream in an entirely new way. And what I love most about the transmogrifier is that while it has presets for eel and baboon and bug and dinosaur, Calvin also left space for the as yet unnamed reality. If you want to transmogrify something into something other than the preset options, you just write it on the side. Possibility is limited only by what our hearts can imagine. Take that in for a moment. Anything that you put in there can become anything else. Can you feel that possibility? Take a minute to check in with yourself, with your body, with your heart, with your breath. For me, it's a quickening, a tingling in my arms, a sense of wanting to lean forward on the balls of my feet and leap into what might be. Where do you feel that possibility, that hope? Hold on to that possibility because we're going to put it somewhere. Nope, not in this transmogrifier. We've got a bigger one. This box, this transmogrifier that I've been working so hard to get you to believe in and feel the possibility of, this box is a metaphor for the church. Now true, the church doesn't have a great big dial on the side with presets for eel and bug and baboon and dinosaur. There's no great big sharpie so we can write on the side of the building other things we'd like to transform the contents into. And actually that might be a good thing because you know, while love is the spirit of this church, sometimes we annoy each other. You all don't like a sermon, someone up here might find themselves transmogrified into a bug. For that matter, you all don't appreciate a sermon. You all might find yourselves transmogrified. All depends on where the dial is located and who gets there first. But still, that box is a metaphor for church. What we put in here in church, what we bring in here to church, we change. Now, it isn't always through the setting of a dial and the push of a button. It isn't always that easy, though sometimes it is. You know, one version of change, social and political change, happens when we do what we do many Sundays, organize people and organize money. Organizing money is going to happen in a couple minutes when we receive our offering. The container that is this church will transmogrify the money you put in the offering baskets into a larger amount of money, and it will go out the door to support the work of creating concrete change in the world. Organizing money transforms cash into the raw materials of justice. And later, you'll be making your way down to the social hall. Maybe you were already there, where our housing justice teams will do their best to organize you all into groups of people doing things together in the service of housing justice. 
In other words, your individual time and talent and treasure will be transmogrified into concrete steps toward change. Organized money, organized people add up to the power to make change. It's what we do every Sunday. Sometimes change really is close to push button easy, relatively speaking. But church isn't just a great big transmogrifier pointed at the world beyond our walls. It's also a vehicle for change for us. One big part of the reason that I'm called to ministry is that church engages the whole spectrum of transformation. Church says, yeah, let's organize money. Let's organize people and power and create more justice in the world. And then church turns around and says, hey, congregation, who do you need to be? to make that change in the world, to be that change in the world. Put a little differently, church says that we exist because the world is not yet as it should be. The beloved community does not exist in our world. It does not exist in our nation, in our state, our city, our neighborhood, or even our church. Not yet, not always. And church says that we are called by our theological convictions to work to change that state of affairs. We are called to work to change that state of affairs. We are called to put our hands to that great arc of history and move it not just toward justice, because as my friend Anasa Troutman says, justice is the bare minimum that should happen when humans get together, but past justice to joy. And to do that, we need to work across the whole spectrum of transformation. We need to do our work out in the world, and we need to do our work on ourselves so that we can be agents of love and joyful justice in every aspect and facet of our lives. Does that sound right to you? Does that resonate with your understanding of the big vision for the big why, for the big we? Well then, We need to ask the question that has been obvious since you walked in and saw a great big box on the chancel. The other obvious question, the first being what's in the box, nothing right now. The second obvious question is, what are you going to put in that box? What do you want transformed? We are at the very start of a new year at church. What do you want transformed? We're at the start of a year of limitless possibility in a church that exists to engage the forces of change. The church exists to mobilize vision and dream the way that that transmogrifier does. Friends, you are holding the marker. What do you write into that space? Are you going to join folks putting homelessness in the box and transforming that to housing for people who need it and policy change so that it becomes permanent? Are you going to put environmental destruction in that box and transform it into sustainable lives and an economy rooted in an ethic of love and justice rather than extraction and exploitation? Are you going to put racism in that box, transform it into a multi-generational change process of history telling and reparations and reclamation of all of our identities so that we can breathe freely in our skin? And what about you? Is this the year you bring your judgment to church? asking for help in transforming it into compassionate curiosity? Is this the year you bring us some of the masks you wear, the ones that you're tired of wearing but are afraid to put down, asking us to see you and to help you be seen? Will you bring us your addiction this year so that we can hold you as you let it go, releasing yourself from its grip, celebrating your sobriety with other folks in the church who have walked that path and can help you 
on the way. Is this the year you bring us your toxic masculinity, your anti-blackness, your internalized homophobia? Together, we can help each other lay those things to rest. What are you putting in this great big box of change and transformation for yourself, for those you love and who love you, and for the larger world? You know, community means strength, to borrow that phrase from Starhawk, and this community can be your agent of transformation. This community can be the strength that joins yours to get the work done. It can be a circle of hands that open to receive you, eyes that light up when you enter, the kind of deep connection you receive in a soul matter circle. Maybe this could be somewhere where you can be free. Because we can't change, we can't transform without each other. And so I ask again, what are you going to put in that box? What will you write on the side? And I also ask because change doesn't just work on the changed. It works on those who support and hold space for the change. As Octavia Butler reminds us, everything that we touch we change and what we change changes us. And so I'm curious, how will you change the church? Not by grabbing the levers of change and yanking hard, but just by inviting this place, this community to change you knowing that as you do, we ourselves will be changed in that process. There is space here for you to write in what you want to become. There is space here for your changes and mine. There's space here for us together to change the world. And so I ask for the final time, what will we, what will we write in here together? May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ. That's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.